Hi, this is Hillary Crowley, and welcome to the Good Energy Healing Show. I'm excited to talk today about a key to happiness, a key to peace, a key to shifting our mindset on all levels. It's deceptively simple, and I've been mulling over it for quite a while because I wanted to think about well, how it ebbs and flows out of our life. And it is the idea and the action of competition, the lived experience of being in a constant state of competition. I want us to all imagine for a minute what it feels like to not be in competition with each other, with competition with other thoughts, um, in competition with... um yourself, really. There's so many measures of competition in this world constantly. And I think that there's a place for it. Um, certainly I was thinking about my dog Boone, um, my buddy, we were, um, he was in my life for 15 years. Um, we found him as a puppy. And when I say found, um, he was brought into the apartment where my husband was living before he was, before we were married. And, um, so Boone was wonderful and he was an adorable puppy. Um, I can still remember when he was too little to climb the stairs to the second floor apartment. And then I also remember when he was too old to climb the stairs uh, he had this good, good long life, and he taught me so many things about the cycle of life. So he was part retriever, I think, uh, lab, shepherd, and Doberman pincher. And he did love to chase a ball. He loved to chase a ball. And as he uh, grew to be big and strong, he was very good at out uh, pacing and out racing other dogs in the park. And so he'd get to the ball first. And I noticed as he got older, other dogs with more youth and more speed could get to that ball that was being thrown in the park. And Boone eventually just would look at me and say, I'm not running for it. I'm not even going to try to get that ball because there's no sense of it. And at the time, I felt very much like sad, you know, like, oh, where's your, where's your vitality? Where's your, where's your fun in the game? But the truth is, um, I think that my dog was maturing and said that was a good game when it felt good, but it doesn't feel good to constantly chasing a ball. Let the, yet let the younger pups do that. So that's us all the time. We're constantly deciding, is that ball worth chasing? Um, sizing up who is bigger, stronger, faster, who's going to get there first. If it's me, then let me run towards it. And if it isn't me, why bother? Well, I really think that the reason I tell that story is because I think it's out of the practice of probably chasing down food for the dog and for us on a primal level, like this competition towards something that needs to be supplied for survival. So that sense of that deep sense that, um, you know, primal sense of survival, 
I think is directly connected to competition. I think that little yellow tennis ball that I used to throw to my dog probably symbolized an animal that he would in the wild naturally chase down and kill and eat. So that's, you know, a really important part of the story here because once we're fed and we're not hungry anymore, that might be where we need to move on from a sense of competition. It's kind of a funny way of putting it, I know, but competition is a funny thing. It seeps in everywhere. It seeps in everywhere into our life. Um, taking measure of our worth, taking measure of our right to survive in the pack. There's so many elements about having to measure up um, and most importantly, pitting ourselves against other people, being trained by our schooling, by our socialization, that we're to compare ourselves with other people. So this is the Good Energy Healing Show, and I want to bring more good energy into this world. And I think one of the fastest ways to bring good energy into your life is pondering the possibility that competition is mostly an illusion, except for the basic needs we have. It's mostly an illusion, and it's time to get rid of all the extra, all the extra competition that shows up in arguments, shows up in our daily thoughts. Let's leave it at that. Why does one thing have to be better than the other? Why does one race have to be uh, one? You know, um, why are we always racing? What is the point of all of this? Have you ever thought back to saying, why am I in competition in the first place? That I think is a really good start to opening up the flexible mindset which seems to be key to calming the vagus nerve, which is key to cellular health. And you can't get better than that. So let's switch this up and kind of put an end to competition once and for all. We're ending the constant competition that plagues us and plagues, plagues every relationship that we have. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I have less stories today and more of a conversation today. I, I wanted to think about the idea of water um, because that's the origin of the word um, racing, to race. It's the, it's the current moving, um, the, the movement of the current. The movement of the current is what uh, the etymology of racing means to race used to mean to, um, be moved by a current. <laughs> and so how often are we thinking about a current as a competition? If you put two currents against each other, you're going to create a storm. You're going to create a, a, um, if it's in air, it's going to be a, a storm. And if it's with water, it's going to be, um, pretty much a whirlpool of some sort. It's going to be a, a dangerous um, riptide, um, something that sucks you down, pulls you out. 
is out of your control. I think we like the supercharge of competition. I think it makes us feel alive. Um, I think it's a shortcut, um, maybe even a little bit of a cheat to that deeper sense of vitality, of connection, and of being alive. I recently discovered um, two veterans in the world of relationships, um, Harville Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt. And in their opening trailer, they talk about safe conversations and working in relationship much better. And they out and out make a claim that if you can learn to speak to each other more clearly, you will see that relationships experience the end of competitiveness, no more competition. That's interesting. So think about all the relationships you're in and think about competition and then drop down a little bit and say, wait a minute, when was the last time I had a relationship that wasn't pitted with some kind of competition, whether it's a neighbor, um, the neighbor, you know, is clearly connected to our shelter. So that's, that's basic survival and vitality. So we're sizing up and measuring ourselves against our neighbor to decide if our neighbor is good enough, safe enough. It's our shelter. We got to make sure that we're on the same page because we're basically in communion with our neighbors. Um, there's, there's a, you know, the basic adage, which is, you know, it's more than an adage. It's, it's one of the commandments to love thy neighbor. If you're looking at it from a Judeo Christian point of view to love thy neighbor. And uh, one of my dear friends pointed out to me uh, that it's not a metaphor because I thought love thy neighbor meant love everybody. We're all neighbors. And one of my dear friends who studies uh, the context of ancient texts, um, he said to me, he said, it's not really a metaphor. It actually like means uh, for the sake of survival, love the people that are around you love the people that are around you because that's crucial to survival and peace. And you might need all those people around you to gather together to compete against another neighborhood, another village. I was like, oh, that's kind of like cynical. That's kind of a bummer. If you think about cynical as being um, a belief that humanity is not fundamentally good. But I do believe we are fundamentally good. That's the premise of how I move through life. And I see evidence of that over and over and over again. And most of the activities that we do that are charged with violence are connected to trauma and they're connected to unresolved trauma. And then in the unresolved trauma, our head goes sideways and we start to see everything through a survival mode because that's what trauma does. And when you see everything through a survival mode, you're living in competition. You're living in competition to survive. So as important as surviving is, um, I want you to think back to um, just basic schooling, basic family life, this pitting each other against each other, measuring up, not measuring up, um, rating each other, being rated. What does that mean? And how much stress is that causing in your life? I feel a little bit passionate about this. It's kind of time to end competition. 
Competition is good for a game, sort of. But what are the what are some of the games that, you know, one of my favorite parts of any sport that I've ever seen is when we remember that we're in a game and that the game is about love and connection. So I can watch a sport all day long and see, you know, basketballs going into hoops and people running across goal lines or uh, balls, you know, being hit into the goal or a goalie making a great save. And I can cheer all that on, but nothing fills my heart more than when one person is knocked down and somebody from the other team runs over, reaches out a hand and helps that person up in the name of sportsmanship. And to me, that's like a great meditation because that's the moment that we remember what we're here for. We're here to play. We're here to explore our human condition, which yes, in many ways is a survival state. But the beauty, the, 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 the turning point is when we remember that there is no competition, that there is no cheering the fact that you might be down, you might be broken, you might be hurt, and you're against me, and that's where I'm going to leave you, down and broken and hurt. Think about that for all your relationships. What does it mean to win when your competitor is hurting? Not much. It doesn't mean much at all. I have a I do have a story. Um, I had my bike stolen the other day and miraculously, I was told by the police, it was pretty miraculous. We found the person who stole the bike and, um, that person was chased down by a police officer, um, who told me in real time, she said that she saw, a person on a bike that matched the description of the bike that had just been stolen. And she put her blue lights on and the person put the bike down and covered it with his sweatshirt and ran away to like the next, you know, block and then just stood there and waited and kind of hoped to outsmart the situation. But the police officer told me that, Um, she observed all of this. And so she was able to claim the bike, speak to the perpetrator who was riding the bike. He denied that he was riding the bike and then he was taken down to the police station. So there's nothing about that story that feels good to me from the bike being stolen to the person who stole the bike, having to go to the police station. So I got a, I got a letter, um, this week and it said that the person who stole the bike did not appear for court. And so therefore they're under arrest and they're going to be arrested. And I read the letter and I didn't do anything about it, but my husband and I were talking about what that meant and how we would address that. So I asked my son who was the one who was in possession of the bike when it was stolen, how he felt. How did you feel when your bike was stolen? 
my husband wanted to say, just let it go. Keeping in mind, we're not the ones pressing charges. This is a police matter. Um, the police were the ones who were involved in uh, apprehending the bike. So we weren't involved, actually. It's a police matter. But they did say in the letter that they'll take advisement from the citizen whose bike was stolen, which would be us. So um, my son said he felt angry, scared, and violated when his bike was stolen. My husband said, we got the bike back, so what are we worried about? And I'm saying, I think we should chime in to see what would be the right thing to do regarding making peace in this, because ultimately this is a competition. This is a competition of who owns the bike and we want to prove that we own the bike. We got the whole society to agree that we own the bike. And now this guy who apprehended the bike um, lost the bike. And now he's going to get in trouble for stealing. It's what it's called. It's stealing. You know, one of the basic, also one of the basic commandments, like do not steal. So, um, as well as the law of the land. So I'm trying to find in my heart, um, a way to address this as if I'm in control. Cause I don't think I'm really in control of this, but for the sake of today's conversation, I was thinking about, you know, having him do something that would bring goodness to this world, um, to clear, just to clear the imagined shame that he may or may not have. And thinking of like that kind of that cool thing, like community service, like doing something to give back. I don't know if that feels so good when it's ordered by a judge. Um, I don't know how it works. But I know that there was, you know, a couple of hours a few weeks ago where I was clearly in competition with that particular person. He stole my bike, which my son was borrowing, and either I was going to have my bike or he was going to have my bike. And there wasn't enough bicycles to go around. And the truth is, is that I don't want to do anything to him. I don't want him to be punished. I want to have a conversation with him. That's what I would love. That's what I would love. I'm realizing that right now. I would love to figure out how to get him a bike too if he needed a bike that badly. And if it was just for the sport and the fun of it to steal, I'd want to have that conversation too to talk about, I mean, Let's be serious. That could be punishment enough if um, somebody like me, the podcaster, says, "Hey, um, can we just sit down and have a deep, a deep conversation about why my bike was stolen and why you took it and what you needed?" Um, you know, that's that's how we learn to parent. What did you need? What did you need when you ran away or took that? or lied about this or lied about that. What what did you need? That's what we're supposed to do. That's not competitive. 
That's not saying right or wrong. I think one of the biggest places where competition is infused and it's not, it's kind of a lose-lose. I was going to say it's not a win-win. It's kind of a lose-lose for everybody. I think that it happens when we all get to find out at a very, very beautiful, tender and young age, how incredibly um, talented we all are. We get to find what our little talents are, whether it's I'm good at making friends or I'm good at reading or I'm good at numbers or I just melt when I see colors. I like to create. And that's just us having our gifts, pitting our gifts against each other in an institution that says one gift is better than the other. Because some would say in many institutions, an ability to do numbers and math is a higher level of achievement than ability to paint a beautiful landscape, like a beautiful landscape, right? Um, be able to make music. Uh, for years and years and years, we've watched music departments at schools just wither away because that's not measurable as a benefit. Who says? I'll tell you one thing, harder to grade. It is harder to grade uh, a musical experience over a mathematic equation. That's for sure. And the bare bones of it all, and the bare bones of, of just stripping everything down to the most measurable competition you can do for children. And children are extremely impressionable. And children are the ones who are exposed to schooling. And schooling exposes and trains children to go into other institutions. And so here we are living day in and day out, programmed, programmed to be in constant competition, to say, I'm not good enough. You're not good enough but I'm better than you, but I'm not as good as you. And there you spiral into sort of a little bit of hell on earth for yourself. I was talking to a a client about this yesterday. Uh, She's reading The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And, um, you know, this idea that we're always doing our best is an idea of not being in competition. This idea of not making um, assumptions means that we're not sizing anything up. We're not trying to size things up before, um, the moment where it matters. But if you're in competition, you're always sizing things up. You're always measuring things. You're always looking at your opponent or looking for an opponent. And we're always chasing the ball and we've forgotten that it's not fun anymore. We've forgotten that our basic needs are being met. And if they're not being met, then we're forgetting to ask for help. And if you're forgetting to ask for help, that might be because you don't feel safe asking for help. And if you don't feel safe asking for help, that might be because everything looks and feels like a competition. If I show my lack of something somebody's going to size me up and 
realize that there's more to this, you know, that there's, there's a, a deeper game to be, to be had on my account. And so we hold our cards, so to speak. That's another fun game cards closer to our chest. And we say, you can't see what I'm thinking and I can't see what you're thinking. And I want to win this. And I don't want you to win that. And we go on and on and on, on and on and on in the cycle of competition. I hope this has kind of inspired you or woken you up to thinking differently and trying to see where competition seeps into your life all the time, all the time on every level and where it's necessary and where it's not necessary. There are very, very few times where we need to be like the water and be racing and racing and racing like a river. Leave that to nature. Nature knows what it's doing. It's cleaning, it's clearing. We've lost something in the translation there for sure. What we want to be doing is floating through our life, going with the flow and experiencing life a little bit differently in the name of Well, you know, switching it up, pivoting, taking that moment to discover that we don't need to be going, going, going faster, 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 more, 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 better, 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 measure, 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 and beating, beating, beating everybody else. You feel that? You feel how intense that is? Maybe one of us can't change the world, but if all of us decide that we're not going to be in competition, then maybe that's where we move forward together. And on my pause, I'm going to thank all of you because I told you I didn't have a story, but I think I have my story now. I think I'm going to call that officer and I'm going to tell her to tell the judge that I'd like to sit down with the person who stole my bike and I'd like to see if he needs a bike too. And we'll start from there. This is Hillary. Um, This has been the Good Energy Healing Show. Please remember to subscribe. Please remember to give the stars. I'm not in a competition but maybe I am because I want to be one of the voices out there that can be heard, um, that can be, um, be sharing in this grand, grand place where we all get to be each other's neighbors. So, uh, let the world know you're listening to me and I'll do my best to listen to you and to bring forth more ideas as they arrive. Today was about the end of competition And I have a nice announcement, actually. Um, I've started a club, a membership club that you can find on hillarycrowley.com. You have to spell my name with one L. So it's H-I-L-A-R-Y-C-R-O-W-L-E-Y.com. And 
it's a membership club that I put together um, in the spirit of my book because my book has 33 workshops at the end of every chapter, like tiny little workshop exercises, I should say. And so it's $33 a month and we're going to go through the book uh, once a month. Um, and every Sunday night, at least here in the United States, I, I might create another time for um, worldwide um, membership. But right now in the United States, oh, wait, for those of you who are in the UK who listen and um, who are in the Europe area, um, I'm going to try to do something for a weekday around 3.30 Eastern Standard Time because I'm over on the East Coast of the United States. But um, for the rest of us, it's um, Sunday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that would be afternoon for those of you out in California. Um, but the evening, the evening, Sunday evenings, and I'm looking forward to doing this for a long time. 33 chapters once a month goes on for a few years. So if you enjoy the good energy healing show, you may enjoy the good energy healing club. It's only $33 a month. I'm really into the number 33. So thank you, um, for listening today and let's really focus on once and for all, once and for all together. We're ending constant competition. You can leave a smidget in there for fun, but for the most part, let it be gone. Enough is enough. No more competition. It's really disrupting the good energy in this world. I'm Hillary Crowley. Thank you for listening, and I hope you all have an absolutely beautiful day.